Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast. Paul, we got a, we got a good show today. We got some new things that we're going to talk about that we don't normally discuss on the show. Yeah, we're going to discuss video games, which is a huge part of the entertainment industry for that may be a surprise to some, but probably not to most. But it's not a topic we frequently discuss on Better Call Paul, so I'm excited about it. But we'll, we'll sort of end with that. Looking forward to it. Speaking of video games, I actually I was just at ETH Denver, which is one of the bigger crypto meetups in uh, the world, really. It, it was an incredible, incredible conference and video games being the big theme in Web3. This is the big potential onboarding for getting a community involved. But I did see a ton of like video game demos, which I thought was pretty interesting. I knew you were there, but I hadn't heard a lot about ETH Denver. So I think next weekend is South by Southwest in Austin. So it's like definitely starting to ramp up with like conferences and culture and people getting back in the swing. Last week, I mentioned that I had a little bit of an announcement to make, but it was embargoed. And that's, I did make partner at Greenberg Traurig, which, you know, is... Um, that's awesome. It's a great recognition, a lot of hard work. And it's really important to me because this has been a goal of mine since basically I'd made the decision to leave Marvel. So I'm really thrilled about that. Congrats, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mesh. I appreciate it. Sure, better call Paul didn't hurt. Big news, man. Big news, partner. Thanks. Big you're now the big partner media attorney. You can actually add that to your intro when you uh, when you. Yeah, my my coworker week. said you got to call it BCPP. Better call partner Paul, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that has the same ring to it. Um, That's awesome. Over the weekend, Jessica and I were uh, scrolling through Netflix, and I was surprised to see that they had a documentary on the Murdoch murder. And then I realized what I first I thought, well, that's way too fast because the trial was just last week and the, he was only sentenced on Friday. But then Jess reminded me that it was actually a different documentary based on a different murder uh, oh. from the same family. God. Yeah. So it actually, I think it was released in January yeah, yeah, of this yeah. year. So, you know, I think Netflix probably just bumped, bumped it, it on the uh, home screen just to, because people are obviously like searching for it, focused on the yeah. controversy. But it got me thinking like the demand for these docuseries is probably insatiable. Well, what was the one? There is that HBO one, the famous HBO docuseries um, on the murder. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. Oh, the Durst. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Was that the one at the end where he's still on the microphone and they're recording him? I think we're thinking about. A I, you know, one. I haven't seen it. But yeah, I mean, I think to your point, people really like these docuseries. Yeah. Speaking of, I think one of our, <laughs> one of your and my favorite topics. Although I don't know how much the public is like super into that. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Um, yeah. Our boy Juicy Smalley. Juicy Smalley is back. Is it Jesse or Ju Juicy? I think it's Jesse. Uh, but he's said. back. Jesse Smalley is back in the news and on Better Call Paul. One, one year later. A year. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the legal side of this is, I guess there's two aspects. For those that don't remember, he was sentenced for 150 days for committing a hoax against the city of Chicago, where he basically 
the allegations, and he was convicted for this. They said that he he hired two brothers to rough him up, wear MAGA hats, like put a, a rope around his neck and maybe pour some chemical on him. Yep. And, you know, he used that controversy to sort of generate a lot of buzz, and he was going to try to negotiate a, like a bigger deal for Empire. Yeah, really smart. And when it came out that it was a hoax, obviously the mayor and the city of Chicago were not pleased about it. They charged him. He had to pay restitution, which is like $25,000, plus the overtime that was spent for all the people that worked on the initial case. And the judge, James Lynn, I believe, was really not a fan of his. He called him narcissistic yeah. and egotistical and all these <laughs> things and arrogant. And um, basically, it was like he laughed about it in the courtroom, sentenced him to 150 days, and then... Jesse actually spent six days and then he appealed. And so he was released pending appeal. So he has like 144 more days to do. And the appeal was supposed to be heard, I think, like last year, but his team uh, filed five extensions. So they finally filed the appeal last week. Why, why, why does some, like for an extension, is it they're just trying to find things for him to have a better case. I would assume that's why you file an extension. You just need more time. Yeah, I think you need more time. I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure the grounds for these extensions because I'm, I'm not really a litigator. I don't do a ton of criminal practice or really any, but I'm guessing that you would file that because you're waiting on like maybe interviews or things. I mean, it's not really a factual analysis. They're looking for procedural errors at trial and they're saying the judge denied him a fair trial for X, Y, Z reasons and maybe allowed evidence in that wasn't supposed to be in or maybe appeared biased to the jury. So they're trying to attack it on those grounds because, and I think we've discussed this before, an appeal isn't necessarily a new trial. It's where you demonstrate that something that happened at trial was procedurally incorrect. And as a result of that, your client was prejudiced. So they're trying to find a ground that's legit when I think saying that the judge was quick to basically make his decision and then he biased the jury. I think that's where they're they're going with this. But the reason it's exciting from a business perspective is, and I think we talked about this at the time. Oh, right, right, know, right. So many people are like searching. <laughs> yeah. It's a topic that was like water cooler conversation, at least in my circle, because it's like such an interesting story. The guy, first he comes out as a victim because he was you know black and gay. And then it, it's like, well, did he actually just stage the whole thing? And so Fox Nation, which is a streaming product from News Corp, from the Fox News family, announced that they're releasing a five-part docuseries. Right. I guess the first episode comes out next week called Anatomy of a Hoax. Well, it's interesting because when we talked about this, we said we were joking that, hey, this should be a reenactment or a show and someone should play Jesse Smollett. But instead, in this case, it's a docuseries featuring the two brothers that were involved in the hoax. It's the first time they've ever been interviewed and they're going to be on this docuseries. Are you going to pronounce it or am I, who's going to? Uh, uh, Abimbola? <laughs> Alabinjo? Yeah, I have Osin it here. Diaro? Um, I think that was a pretty good a, a pretty good take on it. Um, okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, that's how I love how I just let it because I there's no way I could pronounce it properly. Yeah, Abimbola and Alabinjo, you did a way better job than me. So I apologize for not being able to pronounce their names, but these are the two brothers that Jesse hired for this hoax, and then they're going to be doing interviews in this five-part docuseries. And I'm curious, I wondered, um, they got to get paid for that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. exclusively, I mean, I mean, can you imagine them sitting there, and then suddenly it's like, actually, do you want to take part in this five-part docuseries and get paid for it? Well, why not? Well, you know, I think 
listen, this is my opinion. I think after the whole thing came to light, like they didn't look like the bad actors. They were just like, yeah, this yeah, guy paid us 3500 Like they worked out with him or something. Uh, maybe they were personal trainers. And I mean, they actually looked a little bit more honorable yeah. than Jesse because they came clean. And then it's interesting, like, because it's one of those things where like Jesse didn't deny what he did. He basically said like, I didn't get a fair trial for X, Y, Z reason. And remember when he was sentenced, he said, if I go to jail, I want you to know I'm not yeah. suicidal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was like, uh, like six, like 150 days. So what is that? Like five months? It's not like, you know, an eternity per se. I mean, it is, a, it's, I mean, I wouldn't be thrilled about doing 150 days either, but he's a, he's a dramatic guy. He's got a flair for the dramatic. Well, e even the way the LA Times wrote it, according to his lawyers, and I quote, uh, argued that the renewed prosecution, a second indictment of Smalley, an additional punishment violated the actor's due process rights and that Smalley was subjected to double jeopardy. They also took issue with controversial appointment of a special prosecutor in the case. And, you know, I mean, the whole thing just seems like the guy's just saying, look, I'm a victim. This is unfair. Yeah, and I think another argument they raised, and I think you got to give him credit for being creative, he was ordered to pay 25000 in restitution. And they said, well, you can't owe restitution to a city because it's not a person. So how can creative? I don't know if that is legally impactful, but. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, in this case, he's, he owes the city money. He's not getting TV money anymore. He's got a big legal team. I've got to imagine he's writing up quite a bill here. Yeah, and they wrote him off Empire after this whole thing happened. So, yeah, I, I would imagine so. But maybe he wins his appeal and then. Someone hires him to be a lead on a show, or maybe he there's another, you know, like a docudrama based on yeah, this yeah, 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 from his side, right? Like I can see a follow up to this docu series of him now being on another docu series because I doubt right. he's you know he's not in this docu series. So hopefully, maybe he he's going to go out there and be like, look, this docu series, if it did well on Fox Nation, if people care enough to actually watch it. You know, maybe he has a and chance. And he wins his appeal. I think he probably has to win his appeal. Yes. And this docuseries has to do well. Then his agent's probably going to be getting some phone calls. Yes. Well, let's take a little break and let's actually get back with agents that we know are getting a ton of phone calls for how popular their actors are and the show are and everyone that represents a show. The last season of Succession is coming up and we'll talk about it after the break. All right, Paul, so it was just recently announced that Succession, which is coming out this month for its last and final season. Yeah, March 26th. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's fourth and final season, which was rumored. People thought that they were going to come back for a fourth season. They're going to have maybe a fifth season and end it. But this is it. I like it from a standpoint of HBO does well with like completing stories. Um, and that's what we have here, apparently. Yeah, although I guess some people would argue contrary, at least with how Game of Thrones went. Yeah, okay, good point. But I was surprised to see that it's ending because it is such a successful show. I mean, 13 Emmys, almost 50 Emmy nominations. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cox is amazing. Jeremy Strong. The whole crew. The whole cast, yeah. Sarah Snook, Nicholas Braun. It's a great show. So Jesse Armstrong is the creator, showrunner. And that was what he said. He was like, you know, we were thinking... We could keep this thing going indefinitely and sort of dilute the quality and have good episodes and bad episodes kind of going back and forth. 
or we could just have one incredibly strong finish. And so admittedly, Jess and I paused in the middle of season three, so we haven't finished. We're not up to date. Oh, no way. And I think it's actually been over a year since season three dropped. It is a, it's a phenomenal show, and the drama. Did you pause because just life pause, or you wanted to wait till the next season came out so you could all watch it? No, it was to- totally a life pause. Uh, actually, a friend of mine wrote for, I think the first two seasons and maybe not the third. And I, I, I'm not exactly sure why we paused, but it, yeah, life got in the way. And, and we were sort of delayed in starting season three. And then I think we jumped to Ted Lasso or maybe it was whatever, whatever show it was. And then now it's, it's ironic because Last of Us, which we do watch, is it's got a couple more episodes left. And then as soon as Last of Us ends, Succession comes out. Yeah. I mean, HBO has got a really good run now. I, I would say I'm a, I'm a pretty big succession fan. I've watched already. I've watched the show twice through. I use it for inspiration in my work because I just find it to be, okay, you know, these guys are out of their minds. So, you know, the story loosely based off like billionaire media families, and it's just really well done. It's really well written. I love it. And I'm excited to see season four and uh, I, I like the fact that they, instead of deciding to like continue this and let it linger on or go on, he just feels like he has a strong ending for season four where it's not going to be repetitive after that. So you got to give it to them. And, and you got to give it to HBO for allowing people, like you could always throw money at it, but knowing that, hey, you know, we are known for, for the most part, great completed shows. I don't know if you saw the trailer for season four. I did, yeah. I mean, the trailer was drama packed. It was very like, you know, there's people chanting Logan's name at the like sort of like the newsroom. And the thing that I like the most about it is that he'll use like the tiniest bit of validation to completely win people over and like undo all the manipulation in the past. Like, yeah, you know, he could completely screw over one of his kids and then they're in some sort of conversation. He's like, well, you know, I could, I need you for this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they, they believe it. Very and it's, manipulative. Yeah. I assume that there's some truth to that, and that might be how it works on, to some degree, but. I think the, the character has to be loosely based on how certain business people were able to get to the position they are today. I think that's definitely like a generational thing. They were insanely cutthroat and still are, more so than I think maybe the generation next. I mean, I think that's kind of what the show's about, right? Do his kids have it in them? Remember at the end of season two, he he tells Kendall, in this case- He's not a killer. Yeah, he's not a killer, exactly. And that's why he won't get the job. And that causes Kendall to then have this reaction- and, and just going down the deep end, but he can never really stomach it. Like the guy is like, Kendall's one of those characters where you're rooting for him. And then you're also like, he thinks he knows what he's doing, but he's just an internal disaster and a mess. And so you're like, which kid's going to figure it out? I don't know. Cousin Greg. Yeah. No, I know. Well, yeah, Greg's great. I mean, I don't think it can be um, Roman. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Romulus. Romulus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... I don't know who I'd pick. <laughs> it's it's a good, of the four. I think it's it's. But funny. that's a whole other theme. It's yeah. like just because you're the child of someone who built something doesn't mean you're necessarily you know well suited well, to to run it. Or well, the way it. the show kind of depicts it is that all of them individually just don't have what it takes, but together 
you know, maybe they'll figure it out. Like the the three of them together, maybe Connor uh, to some degree on top of that. But is it the three of them now uniting, or the four of them uniting and then joining? You know, the the, the recurring cast of characters, Sandy and Stewie. They all get, does it take all these people together to go against Logan Roy? Versus if Logan Roy has just right. one of them, it's completely there. No one would be able to beat this guy. He's too smart for them. Right, and then like. Shiv and Tom is like kind of a, a joke marriage because well I mean it just didn't seem like the healthiest marriage no. and then <laughs> in, in the in the trailer they're like uh, you know she calls him a snake and he's like you've hurt me more than anyone in the world or uh, yeah it's it's crazy yeah a I, lot of drama a lot of drama maybe that's why I paused because I was like this is too dramatic and I just don't know I mean yeah there are scandals and things that like at companies but. Like they never even talk about uh, like the business. Yeah, it's like lo- it's like it is. It's loosely business. Uh, it's really more about these relationships between these people and how nuts they are. But um, yeah, I do. I do like some of the business stuff. Like I really liked the. Um, uh, it was in the first few seasons, but it was. Uh, Volter, Volter was the company that they acquire. Oh yeah, and it was like you know the the Gawker or whatever back then, but in this universe. I don't think they actually closed. Did they close the deal? Well, they, clo- and then, they closed yo, the they- deal and then he shut it down internally. Yeah. Um, and I liked that whole thing, one, because the M&A part was just fun to watch. But then also, like, how many times do these big companies buy a company, uh, a smaller company, and then they just dissolve it internally? And to be able to see that on screen, I think, was was interesting, kind of cool. I, I, I do wish we had a bit more of the business side of things. But I'm not complaining. Right. And the business side is probably not as salacious and entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say, I would say like a lot of these things that happen in the show, like when they're going to these super prestigious and like private events where you're meeting like the who's who and they're doing all these, the wielding and dealing behind the scenes, these big deals. I think that is actually a very true case of like big business. Like there's all sorts of stuff happening on the side, very relationship based that we don't ever see. But in this case, we do. Yeah, the yachts, the private jets. Yeah. Uh, oh, we can't land in this country, so we have to go here. <laughs> well, yeah, and and, like, and the, I, the conversations that happen on those private jets and yachts. Exciting stuff. Well, yeah, season four, <laughs> March 26th. Um, so I guess I got three weeks to get caught up. Perfect. Basically, I think we have half of season three to finish. I'm, I'm envious that you get to w- watch season three and not know what happens at the end. Yeah. Well, I think I, I mean, I think I do know based on the fact that prepping for this episode, you kind of, you know, like, but yes, I don't know how it happens. I think I know what happens, but not how it happens. Well, you'll enjoy it and then it'll be perfect setup for season four. I look forward to seeing it. I can't wait. I also love The Last of Us. So uh, we have a nice little run here um, with HBO. Well, that's, yeah, they're, um, they're very calculated about the release schedule to keep content on the platform to keep people from not subscribing or canceling. Well, Paul, let's take a break and then let's get back and talk about video games. So, Mesh, video games, I think I said this in episode 33 last year, we talked about the GTA hack. I am not a gamer, although I think that may change. And I acknowledge that gaming is a huge business and a huge part of the entertainment industry. And I do think it is, you know, in a lot of ways, a peer to television and film and music in the sense that, you know, people spend a lot of time playing games. 
It's a really strong source for intellectual property and it's an industry. You know, people spend their whole careers developing, working in games. And I think it's really impressive. And the quality of games that are coming out now, it's just like yeah. really incredible. And whole like metaverses and virtual worlds and everything. It's really interesting what has been allowed to happen with like the advancement of technology and like graphics and stuff. These entire worlds that are being created in video games. And I think we can say, obviously, like one of the biggest shows on TV right now, The Last of Us, is based on a video game. It's actually got you know, two, it's a two-parter. Um, and, uh, and this is the first time where I've actually seen like IP used in a video game that has done so well in the screen. Usually the joke is that video games on TV or video games um, as a movie don't do that great, right? You like Assassin's Creed, famously that botched Mario Brothers back in the 90s. Um, but, you know, lately... Angry Birds. Angry Birds. Angry Birds was okay. I, uh, I never Mortal saw Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. I mean, uh, <laughs> although the first one, the first one was I great. liked Mortal yeah. Kombat, the movie, but it wasn't like yeah. a serious movie. Uh, and that's the thing. Last of Us, I think, is widely regarded as the best video game adaptation to the small screen ever. And it's because it's very well done and serious yeah. and, uh, and it doesn't Story seem driven. like it's like a joke. It's also because The Last of Us, the writing in the video game is very much similar to the writing in the show. Like apparently, you know, when the in-between gameplay, the storyline, people really like the fact so that they've even had the actors have minor parts in the show. And I think that that might be one of them, like a really well-written video game, which I think, and I'm saying this as I, I don't know if you watch Mythic Quest um, on Apple TV, but Mythic Quest. Oh no, I saw maybe one or two episodes. Yeah, amazing show. It's basically about this, um, game creator and the engineering of that game. It's their relationship as they're building this entire universe. And when I was in Denver, I actually met two of these guys. They they run a a, a game called Voxies. It's one of the more popular games in Web3. And one guy was the engineer and the other guy was the game designer. Like he creates like the lore and he creates the characters. And I was just fascinated by that. And I think probably what has happened in Hollywood is that, you know, they're putting these characters on the screen, not putting good writing behind it. I think The Last of Us is a great example of that. And I would love to see, I think there's just so much IP in games. Like there's certain games that I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to see a, uh, a God of War show. That could be great. Sure. And and so, you know, we talk about like in episode 33, GTA as a franchise has generated $6 billion in revenue, which is, you know, on par with the biggest film franchises. Uh, right. Maybe not Marvel, but a lot of the other ones. $6 billion is is a ton of revenue. And these games have massive budgets. So, you know, you think about there's actual actors, like voice actors, motion capture in some cases. There's writers, because like you said, there's sometimes there are things that the actors have to say. Maybe there's a ton of dialogue, but they're still performing. Yeah. You know, so the voice actors need something to say. There's composing, there's score. Obviously, there's visual artists, developers, engineers. So it's a whole industry. And at the end of March, BAFTA the British Academy of Film and Television Arts is doing their video game awards. And, and part of this, they're the same organization that does the sort of British equivalent of the Oscars. And they do a specific game-focused set of awards. They have 18 awards. And part of the reason they do it is to sort of help legitimize in the eyes of the broader public right. games. And sure, like you and I, we know gaming culture is huge 
you know, millions of hours streamed on Twitch every week and huge business. But I think there are elements of the mainstream and maybe on the older population where people don't really consider video games totally. to be true entertainment. Yeah. And so that BAFTA is trying to sort of help video games have more of a moment in sort of those corners of of, of media. Yeah, and, and I'm not like, a, I'm not a gamer by by any means. I, I As a kid, yeah, I played video games. I wasn't very really good at them, but I enjoyed them. I, I do from time to time when there's a game that I'm like, oh, you know, this looks really interesting and I don't have the console because I don't have any consoles. I will watch the gameplay on YouTube. I enjoy it. So almost like I get my fix. I don't even need to play the game. I'll just watch someone else play it better than I can. And it's organized where I'm not dying like 80 times. Like this person's very, very good. Or they cut it in a way that I could just watch it like a movie. And I've, and I've done that with games. And, and for BAFTA, the, the game that had the most nominations, 14 nominations, was God of War Ragnarok, which interesting enough has like characters from some of these big franchises that we're talking about. Like Thor is in God of War. Well, right that, that's mythology. Right, right. right. But like the character, yeah. it's the character still is like, not the Marvel character, but like that character that we're all familiar with. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Like I didn't know these characters were all related, but I do like that mythology stuff. And I'm curious to see like, is it an HBO that potentially takes on a God of War? I'm sure there's all sorts of conversations happening around IP when it comes to like taking one of the biggest games, which is this God of War game, and putting it on the screen for us to watch. Yeah, and so God of War, as you said, has 14 nominations, including Game of the Year. It's interesting. So Game of the Year is actually determined by the public. Mm. So imagine if the Oscars said, you know, we're doing an online poll for best picture. Yeah. And like they left it up, like they'll do the 10 nominations, but they leave it up to the fans to decide. I think that's a really cool way to get engagement. So what what would your guess be then if the public was allowed to vote for this year's Oscar, who would win? Top Gun. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I was going to say everything, everywhere, all at once, because, but that might be all the the movie nerds who vote for that. But I think Top Gun probably from a popularity contest would win. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it would be, I think, probably a close call. But so Game of the Year, like you said, one nomination is God of War. Another is Elden Ring. And then Cult of the Lamb, Stray, and Vampire Survivors. And then this last one, Marvel Snap which I think has been a phenomenal success for Marvel because it's made by Second Dinner and it's like a digital trading card game, but you know you can play it on your phone and I think it's just been incredibly popular. It's not a console game, but it's been incredibly popular with people. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I mean, again, like the, these are not small dollars being made for these studios. And we'll, we'll get into that now. I mean, you know, talking about one of the most popular and successful games right now, um, we have Harry Potter. Harry Potter recently released Hogwarts Legacy, which is an open world game by technically Warner Brothers games, but the studio who made the game was acquired by Warner Brothers, I think. Yeah, so the studio is Avalanche, and they were bought by Warner in 2017. So this is actually the first game they've released since the acquisition. And interestingly, so Avalanche Software was owned by Disney before that. Right, right, right. So interesting. Uh, I'm guessing Avalanche Software is you know a bunch of engineers, developers, designers. They make games, and so they can make games based on any underlying intellectual property. Warner Brothers has um, you know in addition to the DC 
library, they have the Harry Potter world, right? So this first game for Avalanche Software is based in Hogwarts. And I think it takes place a hundred years before the events of the books and the movies. And it's not eligible for the BAFTAs in 2023, but it may be eligible for next year. Although it's kind of a polarizing game. Sure. Right? So sure. as you said, or it's been very popular, it made 850 million in sales in its first two weeks. Yeah, 12 million copies. 12 million copies in the first two weeks. It's probably been out for almost three or four now. And it's, I think, had a million concurrent streams on Twitch. So a ton of people watching the game being played. And uh, I think it takes, like, I'm reading online, like 30 to five hours to beat the game. But there's all these other side <laughs> missions and things yeah. you can do. So you can play for a really long time. But it is a single player. So it's not a multiplayer game. So it won't necessarily be as immersive and engrossing as, you know, those games where you can play online with, you know, a bunch of your friends. But that said, it, it's one of those, it's like a, an open world game. So technically you could be, you know, you're a character in the game. You could be a part of the four main houses at Hogwarts, which is Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Slytherin. And then they have all these side missions. Now that happened with GTA, right? GTA was a single person game, but then eventually like you have like, the way multiplayer works in GTA is that you're all just characters in this world and you're interacting with each other. So I think that's kind of the, the case here is that even if you beat the game, the world will consist like constantly be expanding. And then there's going right. to be more people that are playing within that game. So you can interact, you can just interact with people. And I think what we've seen with like Twitch content and content on TikTok when it comes to games is that people clip those interactions with other users in the game world. And so this is one that I've just been paying attention to on TikTok. There's a lot of like, a lot of really, really great memes that are popping up now um, for this game. And it's only been a few weeks in. So I think people are pretty impressed with the, and this goes again to the ability of like, this is a pretty like, I mean, to have these expansive worlds, like the tech needs to be there. And I think that's where we're at now. Um, so it's pretty, pretty cool for, uh, for Harry Potter fans to have this. Uh, it is, but it's, like I said, it's not without controversy. So although J.K. Rowling was not involved in the making of the game, there have been a lot of streamers and um, industry publications that have been critical of the game because of statements she's made in the past, uh, sure. um, you know, particularly in regards to gender. And as I mean, I think Warner, you know, they have this valuable IP. They want to invest in the game. They bought Avalanche. So they want this to be a success. And I think objectively, Financially, it has been a resounding success, but you know you can't please everyone. And all they said is that J.K. Rowling had nothing to do with this game, although sure. it does take place yeah. in the world she created. Yeah, I mean, they created some characters, I think, to add into the diversity of the the world of this game. I think to appease a certain um, you know people and, and fan bases. So I think they're doing they're doing what they can to to make sure that everyone's somewhat happy. But I, it's clear that the the fan base of Harry Potter is there. I mean, this is the fastest selling game of, of all time, I think, um, in terms of in terms of, uh, of, Warner of, of, of Warner Brothers. But I mean, pretty crazy that, you know, almost a billion dollars in a few weeks and, and we'll see. I mean, probably not like GTA level, but close. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the Call of Duty GTA, but I think that that, that is maybe the one echelon above, but it's definitely, you know, the most successful Warner Brothers game of all time. Yeah. 
Very cool. Well, yeah, I saw I saw some gameplay as well. I haven't played it myself, but like I said, I'm not a gamer. But uh, it looks really, really stunning just from a visual perspective. Yeah, I'm going to continue. I'm going to go down the YouTube rabbit hole because I think now there's enough gameplay that's been made that I'm just going to explore this a bit. And look, I think it's kind of cool. Like you get to pick your house and there's different side missions with all these different houses and so it, it might be one of those things where if you're not a regular video game fan and you're just a super harry potter fan like do you play this game and i'm curious to know what those numbers look like for people who just normally don't play games like is this their in like would they play this game but that means you have to have like a console and all these things but you never know you never know yeah i mean if you love it that much then you get to sort of live in it right yeah well cool man well uh paul Great show as always. And congratulations on making partner. Thanks, Besh. Yeah. It's big news, man. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, big, uh, big step. Big step, man. I mean, BCPP, better call partner Paul. And uh, <laughs> no, big congrats to you, man. That's our show this week, folks. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.